morning, everybody. Welcome. Glad you're here. You can find your seats. Uh, we're going to be back in the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll be there most of the winter. And we are in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. So you can turn there towards the front half of your Bible. And um, again, uh, Ecclesiastes, the word means, the word ecclesi or Ecclesiastes means to gather, to assemble. And so that book was titled that because it was King Solomon who assembled and wrote and put together these words um, for us to, to hear. The original title in the Hebrew is, of course, it's the idea of the preacher or the teacher gathering these sayings to tell the people. And so, literally, Ecclesiastes is a proclamation to the gathering of people of some important information from the king. So, we should tune in when a king is writing, especially when he's writing about God's kingdom. Um, spoiler alert, I'm telling you each week, when all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is to fear God and keep his commands because this is for all humanity. This is the theme verse for the book. Okay, Solomon is writing and he's like, I've heard everything. I've seen everything. He's an old man at this point. He wrote Song of Solomon when he was young. It was all about passion. He wrote Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, or compiled the book of Proverbs because he realized, I need some wisdom with the passion, otherwise it doesn't work well. And then finally, at the end of his life, he writes Ecclesiastes because he realizes that even with all the passion in the world and all the wisdom in the world, everything is futile. It all ends the same. You die and everybody gets your stuff. And that's literally the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon wrestling with the reality of life and the reality of what's next and what's going on. And so he says, the conclusion of the matter, after 11 chapters, we're only in chapter 2, Solomon finally arrives at the end of the book at the conclusion that the real purpose, the real meaning of everything you hear, of everything in the world, is to come to the conclusion that I need to be in awe. That word fear there means awe, reverence. I need to be in total reverence and awe of the God of the Bible. And I need to look to keep what he has said is true to keep. Because that's what is for all humanity. That's the purpose of all of life. And to reject that is to find yourself where Solomon is. And this week, last week, we found Solomon writing in chapter 1, realizing that everything is futile. When he looks around the world and how the world works, the sun comes up and goes down, the wind blows. This week, it's even better. Solomon says, I hated life. He sees everything is futile, and then Solomon comes to a place, he actually says it a couple of times in chapter 2, where he says, I just hate life. You ever been there? Maybe before a big test and you haven't read all semester, you haven't studied, Right? I just hate life. It's like, well, you've paid to actually have them test you, which is kind of funny. But, like, we, everyone comes to this place at some point. Everyone comes to the place at some point, whether it's at their deathbed, whether it's the beginning. At some point, you come to a place where you're just like, I hate this. I'm tired. Why am I even going through the motions? Sun comes up, it goes down, it's all futile, it doesn't matter. And chapter 2 is Solomon literally Laying that out. Remember, Solomon is the wisest man outside of Jesus ever in recorded history and in the Bible. He is the most wealthy of maybe any person of God has ever been on earth, Solomon. 
He is the king of an empire that is vast and has complete peace. No wars for 40 years. And Solomon sees everything as meaningless and he hates his life. And yet, we try to chase all the things that led Solomon to futility and hating life, thinking we're smarter than Solomon, we can get richer than him, we can have more power than him, we can have more peace than he had. Think about that for a minute. See, that's the purpose of Ecclesiastes. It's to call us to what we really believe. You know, you would think that someone with all the wealth, all the power, all the women, you'd think they would be happy. Like they've got everything in life they could ever want. You know, like the celebrities of our day. They're all so happy. Their lives are all so wonderful. They stay married to the same person forever and their kids love them. Right? They're not addicted to drugs. They're not, none of that. For, wrong. Like our celebrity class even declares that they keep getting more and it's not enough. It's not enough. And it just at the end you're like, what's the point? And that's where we find it. Remember, these few verses where Solomon asks for wisdom. God grants him wisdom supernaturally and gives him understanding. But then St. King Solomon doesn't obey. He chases after foreign women. That's his big issue. You probably have an issue in your life that keeps popping up that causes you to hate yourself and hate what you do and hate your life. Solomon had an issue too. We all have them. And because of that, because he disobeyed God, he didn't fear God and fully obey his commands, Solomon clung to other things to love instead of God. And he was miserable. Ecclesiastes 2, we pick it back up, says this. I said to myself, Okay, stop there. If you're talking to yourself, you're already in trouble. Because you don't have any more wisdom than you got. And your wisdom that you have hasn't gotten you very far. Right? The reason you're miserable, everything is futile, and you hate life is because you've been saying self. Hey, self, you need someone outside of yourself. Right? When you find yourself sitting and going, hey, self, Hi, and you're talking to yourself, just stop. Like you are in a bad place. It's not going to go anywhere good. It's only going to lead you to hate yourself more because you're going to think, hey, self, let's do that. And then you're going to talk to yourself later and go, self, why did we do that? We're idiots. Like it literally, you're having, I know you have these conversations in your mind. We're actually taught in our culture to talk to ourselves. Self-esteem movement, right? Like we're taught, stop talking to yourself Talk to other people who know God. Talk to God. Read the Bible. He talks back to you. He gives give you all this to talk back to you. There are so many other places you can talk to, and yet we still stay in our head talking to ourselves. Stop. Please stop. It will never lead you to anywhere else but hating yourself when you're stuck in your own head. I promise. And if it doesn't lead you to hating yourself, it will lead to so much pride like it did Solomon that eventually someday there's no one left to talk to because you're so selfish and people want nothing to do with you and you hate life. Get out of your head. Solomon twice says, I talk to myself in this past, in chapter two. And both times, it doesn't look good. Here's what he says. Hey, self, go ahead. Let's do this. I, let's test our lives. I will test you with pleasure, self, and enjoy what is good. This is what you say every day, isn't it? 
sitting on the couch and you're like, hey, self, you already ate about 30 minutes ago, but you're still thinking about something to eat, aren't you? Well, I am, self. Well, what would you like to eat? I don't know, self. What do we got in the fridge? There's some ice cream in the fridge. Do we need it? No. Do we feel terrible because we're old after we eat it? Yeah. Do we still want it? Oh, yeah. And we go eat ice cream. We don't ask our spouse, hey, you know, I've been talking about losing weight. Um, Should I go eat ice cream? Oh, no. No, 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 no. We go buy our spouse. We get a bowl. We go eat somewhere in another room so they don't see us, right? Because we don't want them to confront us. Listen, you... This is Solomon. He's like, I'll just go ahead and I'll just just do what I think is good. What I think is pleasurable. I got this figured out. I got it all under control. He doesn't ask God. He doesn't ask his advisors. He doesn't, he just, hey self. But it turned out to be futile. Yep. Typically when you and yourself decide something, it doesn't lead to places that really build you up. It just leads to places that you kick yourself and go, why did I do that? Then he says, I said about laughter, right? Because we love to laugh. It's madness. And about pleasure, what does this accomplish? Like he, he says, let's try all this. Let's go after everything. And then he realizes, what's the point? So I'm laughing. Then I go to bed at night and I think about my life and the fact that I laughed all day and didn't take anything seriously and I'm miserable. Is laughter bad? No. Laughter is not evil. What Solomon is saying is that when he he thought about laughter, he goes like, what's the point? You're just miserable later. It doesn't last. You can't just keep laughing all the time. With pleasure, what does pleasure really accomplish? Right? Because you have pleasure and then you're miserable. So maybe I should just never have pleasure, right? That's self-talk. I'm never going to laugh and I'm never going to have pleasure again because I'm just so miserable. That's not biblical either. That's not what God says. God says pleasure is good when it's according to his ways. Laughter is good when it's in him. Like th- This is what the scripture says, but Solomon is just like us, and he's chasing anything that he can do to make him happy and pleasurable. And we love that. And we try to put on that show, right? I mean, social media has put this on steroids. I said to myself, self, let's post about self. Let's post about all our pleasure and all our laughter and all my wonderful life. Really? Your life's really not that great. How much of that do you post? Right? How much do you really post that's like serious and true? We don't. Because we know we'll be attacked for it. It's not what people want to see. And if we do post, oftentimes we'll post the misery, which we'll see in a minute. Because Solomon says, I decided to struggle We'll post all our struggles, not because we want to glorify God and because we want to ask people's advice and pray for them, so that people feel sorry for self. So that we can feel better about ourselves because people feel sorry for us and make us feel better about ourselves. That's exactly what Solomon, thousands of years ago, like Solomon is a 1,000 BC year old, like modern depressed man. Like literally. Like he's, he's depressed like we are today, only like, thousand years like three thousand years ago with the same issues he goes on and says this look at all that Solomon had in first kings four there's a record of Solomon's daily provisions Solomon's provisions for one day were 150 bushels of fine flour 300 bushels of meal 10 fattened oxen 20 range oxen and 100 sheep besides deer gazelles roebucks and pin-fed poultry 
For he had dominion over everything west of the Euphrates from Tipash to Gaza and over all the kings west of the Euphrates. He had peace on all his surrounding borders throughout Solomon's reign. Judah and Israel lived safely from Dan to Beersheba, each man under his own vine and his own fig tree. Everybody had their own vineyard and had their own fruit. They were so peaceful and so profitable. You would think, yeah, that's what we're trying to get America to be. And Solomon is miserable. And we look around with everything we have and we're miserable. And Solomon, look, this was, they, uh, scholars estimate this would have fed, this daily provision would have fed between 10 and 20,000 people. Solomon wasn't alone in this chasing of pleasure. He invited a lot of people to chase it with him and he provided all the goodies to chase it with him. Here's your free stuff to chase pleasure and chase laughter and chase the easy life with me. I will take from the treasury and give everybody so you all participate in the, Isn't it wonderful? And there's no advisors looking at Solomon saying, maybe we should pause for a moment. No, no, no. We want the free stuff. We want the good stuff because we want this kind of life where it's just peace and wonderful and no problems. He goes on. Ecclesiastes says, I explored with my mind how to let my body enjoy life with wine and how to grasp folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom until I could see what is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. Remember, there's two phrases here, under the sun and under heaven. Under this, whenever Solomon says under the sun, he's talking about just earthly stuff. When he says under heaven, he's saying there's a bigger thing beyond just this earth, just the pleasure of this earth. So when Solomon says, look, I did all of this, I enjoyed everything. I had wine, I had, I was, I had all the folly in the world. In other words, I had all the games and fun and everything I wanted to do. And he said, but here's the deal. While I was still doing that, God still allowed me to have wisdom so that I could see how pointless all of it was. God in his supernatural grace and mercy allowed Solomon. He never took his wisdom away. He left him with it so he could write this book. See, we always think, well, if I'm doing something, I said this last week, if we're doing something wrong, God will take it away from us. Nope. Often God actually lets you keep it and lets you keep living in it so that you find it just as miserable as anything else so that then you finally cry out to God, which Solomon does at the end of Ecclesiastes. And that's exactly what Solomon does. And he says, I finally figured out what was good for people to do in the few days of their life. He's like, I'm, I'm finally figuring it out. None of this matters. You see, you will hate life if you aren't surrendered to God. You will. I promise. You'll hate it. Just like Solomon did. And if you don't hate it now, you'll hate it when you stand before God in judgment. Because after the verse where Solomon says, when all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is to fear God and obey his commands. Right after that, the last verse of the book says, everything we do will be judged. Now, thankfully, our judgment is on Christ, who paid the price for what we deserve. Solomon was hoping that God might pay the price for his folly and stupidity. Look at what Proverbs says. Proverbs 1 says, 7 Again, Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. At the very beginning of the book of wisdom, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and discipline. 
he writes this and then ignores it. You ever done that? You say, I'm going to do this. I'm writing this down. I'm going to ask you to hold me accountable. And then you completely ignore what you said you were going to do and what you wrote down. And someone holds you accountable and they ask you about it and you get mad at them and you want to smack them or leave. How dare you? Well, like, I just want you to fear God and you said you wanted to do this and so I'm, I'm just trying to help. I'm not trying to be mean. Like, I just... I see that you're not fearing the Lord. You don't have much awe or reverence about God in this area of your life, and that concerns me. So, like, and I see you disobeying him, and I'm concerned for you. So, no, fools despise wisdom and discipline. See, we try to avoid anything that doesn't give us pleasure or joy, happiness, laughter. And God's like, no, people who understand what the world is like They understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning, like Solomon, of understanding wisdom and discipline. He then goes on to say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So he says knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Who's the Holy One according to the New Testament? The only one that's ever been holy and perfect? Jesus. So he says the fear of the Lord is just the beginning. Just to have awe of him is one thing, but to truly To truly understand life, you have to have knowledge of the Holy One. The one, the Messiah who is to come. The one that will save us. If you're going to have true wisdom. And Solomon decided, sure, I've got the wisdom of God, but not too sure I want the Holy One telling me how to run my life. So I'm going to chase all these other things. Ecclesiastes 2.4 says... Solomon realizes that this folly of chasing pleasure is pointless. We all come to that place. At some point, chasing the pleasure means the credit card bill comes, right? You've been chasing pleasure, no responsibility, not worrying about it. I'm just going to do what I need to do. And all of a sudden, the bills come due. You've been chasing the pleasure, and all of a sudden, it's midterms. It's test time. You're like, oh, I like, you're not sleeping. You know, you're doing whatever you can because you were chasing all the fun and enjoyment and now it's time to pay the price. And Solomon recognizes this. So he says, I increased my achievements. I realized that under heaven, it's not just about pleasure and everything else. You got to do something with your life. So I increased my achievements. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. Notice he didn't plant them for God. He planted them for himself. That's key. And then it says, I made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. He lived in Bloomington. Okay, I constructed reservoirs of water for myself. Bloomington, Lake Lemon, Griffey, and Monroe are all reservoirs that we built. And then he says, which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees, I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I also owned many herds of cattle and flock, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself and many concubines, the delights of men. This made the Super Bowl look stupid. Solomon had so much, he, he showed how much he achieved all the time. Look at all I've done. Look at all the wealth. Look at all the popular, look at how many singers I have. I can have a, I have a concert all the time at my beck and call. 
So Solomon says, I'm not just going to be about pleasure and having a good time. I'm going to try to achieve something. And he achieves all of this, every bit of it. He says, I even got so many people to work for me, I never had to do any work. Boy, that's what we dream of, isn't it? That's why Uber uh, Uber Eats and all of that is so popular. I don't have to fix it. I don't even have to go get it anymore. I got to do nothing for my food. And I just charge it and someday I'll pay for it. I mean, we, we couldn't be more like Solomon in our hearts and how we define success if we tried. And you say, well, I don't have all kinds of gold and silver and everything else. Well, the nation does, kind of. Solomon actually had gold and silver. Ours is kind of all fake. But anyway, okay, so he did all of this for himself. So then what happened? After Solomon tried pleasure, after he decided, I'm going to chase the degrees, I'm going to chase the achievement, I'm going to, I'm going to show I'm something, I'm going to show that God is with me, I'm going to show what I can do, I'm going to show, I'm going to show, I'm going to show. He says, I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem, and my wisdom also remained with me. There it is again. But then I realized, like, Is this really the point of life? All my eyes desired. I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. Here's the third thing, right? You try the pleasure route. You try the achievement route. Then you get these struggles, and you're like, well, I'm just, I'm going to be about these struggles so I can show everybody how to struggle. It's still about you. It's still about you. It's still about Solomon. He's like, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show people how to struggle. I'm going to make people struggle now. I'm going to really call us to something hard. So? And that's exactly what he says. He goes on and he says, this was my reward for all my struggles. When I considered all that I had accomplished, what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. What's the point? You got pleasure, you got achievements, then you decide, well, Maybe I'm supposed to struggle a little bit. So you really try hard and struggle. And in the end, you look and go, what's the point? Have you ever been here? This is why Solomon ends up hating life. Because this is the process every culture, every human being at some point has to walk through. That's why Ecclesiastes was Solomon's last book of his life when he finally realized, oh my goodness, I figured it out. Then he says, There was nothing, he says, then I turned to consider wisdom. See the turn? Solomon has lived all this, he's got his wisdom, he's figuring out how to do pleasure right, how to do achievements right, I'm struggling right, I'm doing everything right. Then I turned to consider wisdom, madness and folly, for what will the man be like who comes after the king? He will do what has already been done. I'm going to build all this stuff. I'm going to do all this. I'm going to struggle. And then I'm going to die and everybody's just going to do the same thing, take all my stuff and squander it. It's not going to matter. Every kingdom falls. That's the story of humanity. There hasn't been a kingdom in the world that hasn't fallen and been and crashed. Not a one. It's the cycle that continues. And we think we can build a better kingdom based on all the stupid things they did and we're going to use our wisdom to to do it different this time and then we end up doing exactly the same thing they did eventually. Over and over and over and over. 
And Solomon comes to this realization. At least, are you ready to tune in? At least Solomon's honest enough to admit this. And that's why he's the wisest man ever to live. Because we won't be honest enough to admit it. We just keep trying to cover up, right, the mess. You can gold plate a turd. It's still a turd. And we keep trying to cover. Solomon, at least, is honest. And he's just like, this is what I'm dealing with. This is the reality when I look at the world that I have lived in. He goes on and says this. And then I realize that there is an advantage. So now he's gone through this. He says, but I realize that there is an advantage to wisdom over folly, like the advantage of light over darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head, but the fool walks around in darkness. Yes, I also knew that one fate comes to them both. So Solomon says, you can think, well, then why even try? Just live your life and do whatever you want. Don't be wise. Don't, who cares, whatever, which is, that's our culture today. Our culture is there. And Solomon says, no, 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 there is some advantage to wisdom because I'm watching everybody else do folly who isn't wise. They're not writing this down. They're not thinking about it. They're not processing like I'm processing. And so like there is an advantage that I actually am seeing the pointlessness to it all when everybody else is still chasing it. There is an advantage to biblical wisdom, godly wisdom, God-given wisdom and understanding that the world doesn't have. But Solomon says, I recognize that wisdom and understanding doesn't really help me much in the world to find what I'm looking for. But it does help me to look to heaven and to look to God, which is what I should be looking for. Jesus said this, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus didn't promise your life would get better on this earth if you came to follow him. Matter of fact, we're going to look in a minute. Most of what he promises, your life's going to get harder if you follow me in this earth, but it's so worth it. Jesus says, the best part is you'll be able to see it. You'll be able to have hope when everybody else, when everybody else is chasing everything. You'll be like, nah, I'm not chasing that. I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. I'm going to fear God and obey him. Like, like you're going to have the ability to actually have your eyes opened when everybody else is walking around in the dark. And you're going to have the ability to say, hey, I can see. And you can help others that are stumbling around in the dark get out of the dark so they can see things clearly. That doesn't, listen, light and dark doesn't change the consequences of the environment you're in. Just because you have a light doesn't mean there's not a log to trip over. It just means you can see the log and not trip over it. He goes on, he says, not only am I the light, but if you know me, Jesus is talking to his disciples, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and give glory to how wonderful and awesome you are and how wise you are and how you figured everything out. That's what everybody did to Solomon. They kept pouring on the glory of Solomon. And it took Solomon his entire life to figure out that he should have been pouring the glory back to God. 
No, we're to glorify our Father in heaven. I don't want to glorify the things here. I want to talk about how great He is. I want to talk about the relationship I have with Him, the home I have with Him. That's what my focus is to others. You see, Solomon was seeking earthly rewards and glory. He was looking for the earthly advantage all the time. Jesus was like, there is no advantage for me on this earth because I'm going to the cross and dying, so I'm not looking for any earthly advantage. I'm looking for a resurrection. Now, does that mean we don't use our wisdom? No. Solomon just said, it's better to have your eyes open and have some wisdom and help others to lead them to where they need to go than to just be walking around in the dark. He goes on in Acts This is Jesus speaking to Paul when Paul was blinded, literally made him blind, met him on the road to Damascus, changed his life. Paul went from killing Christians to becoming the great, one of the greatest Christians that ever lived to plant church, all churches all over the Gentile, that means non-Jewish empires. He said, Paul, get up and stand to your feet for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a service and witness, or servant and witness of what you have seen and what I will reveal to you. He doesn't say, I've appointed you to be a king. He says, you're going to become a servant. See, Paul already had the privilege of being almost a king among his people. He says, I will rescue you from the people and from the Gentiles. I now send you to them to open their eyes so they may turn from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Look at this, that by faith in me, they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are becoming more like me. That's sanctification. That word sanctified means becoming more like God. He's like, Paul, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna let you see things differently. I'm appearing to you on the road to Damascus in a bright light. I am blinding you like, whoa, and I'm doing this for the sole purpose so that you're transformed into someone that stops looking at how to make everything work in this world, you'll die to all that, and you'll live for the world to come. By the way, Paul is blinded at this moment. And Paul has to wait for Jesus to send someone outside of himself to come and heal his blindness. He says, I'm going to give you light so you can see, oh, you're blind. (laughs) that doesn't make any sense yeah it does because see Paul you've always been about yourself and your education and making everything work as a Pharisee I'm telling you you're going to have to rely on people to come and to save you and to help you you're going to have to humble yourself like you've never humbled yourself before and when Paul is healed he becomes the apostle that goes and tells the world about him and about faith that we need to have in God to save us and to obey him. Why? Because we're so grateful for the fact that he saved us, not because we're trying to get salvation. Ecclesiastes goes on. Solomon again says, I said to myself, (laughs) hey self, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. I've done all the achievements and the pleasure. I've I've struggled really well, so I think I'm owed something because I've really struggled hard, but then what happens to the fool happens to me? Why then have I been overly wise? Why'd I even try? What's the point? I said to myself, again, stop talking to yourself, that this is also futile. For just like the fool, there's no lasting remembrance of the wise man, since in the days to come, both will be forgotten. How is it that the wise man dies just like the fool? What's the point? 
I'm just going to die like everybody else, so I might as well get whatever I can get. Might as well enjoy my life where I'm young, try to do what I got to do. Everybody else is. How about you fear the Lord? Ask God what he wants of your life. Whether you're eight years old like King Josiah who led the greatest revival in the history of the nation of Israel. Or whether you're 80 years old like Moses. <laughs> right? Serving God's people doesn't matter. Revelation says this. Jesus says, in the same way, the victor will be dressed in white clothes. And I will never erase his name from the book of life, but I will acknowledge his name before my father and before his angels. You see, we have a world that tells you you'll be forgotten. Why? Because you will be. We talked about this last week. You will be forgotten. You, again, what, two people raised their hand in this room when I asked last week, do you know the names of your great-great-grandparents? Two people. They also sent me a chart of their lineage and their pictures. Right? Like, ha, ha, I got you. Anyway, two people. You're going to be forgotten. Look at Revelation. But not by God. If you've chosen to be God's child, if you've chosen to live under heaven instead of under the sun, if you've chosen him, he says you are a victor. I will dress you. You don't have to try to dress yourself up to get to heaven. You're not trying to put on your own clothes to prove something to God. I'll give you the clothes to wear when you get here. And when you do, I'll clothe you. I will present you before my Father, and I will say, look at what you and I accomplished in this person, and I will declare it in front of all of heaven. We remember this guy. We remember this gal because of what we did in their lives that was a miracle that they could never do on their own. That's the gospel. That's what Solomon, in chapter 2, hasn't figured out yet. He's still wrestling with. Jesus says... You can try hard because you won't be forgotten. Solomon seems like he's almost done trying because he thinks, I'm just going to be forgotten. What's the point? We try hard. We follow God. We obey him because we know that he loves us. He will clothe us and we will not be forgotten by him. See, Sol Solomon was shooting for earthly victories and coming up short. We shoot for heavenly victories knowing we will never come up short. Your name will be read before all of heaven like the announcement of some important person coming down the red carpet. <laughs> Jesus is going to clothe you. He's going to open up the red carpet and he's going to go introducing Matthew Shockney. He is nothing in and of himself, but he is my child. He is here he is, and he's going to get rid of all the ugly, and he's going to present us beautiful, which is what we try to do every day for ourselves and never can. And God's going to do it for us. He goes on and says this. Therefore, I hated life. Says it again. I hated life because of the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me, for everything is futile and a pursuit of the wind. Do you not see how psych like almost psychotic Solomon is through this passage. Hey, feel a little bit like good about yourself when you do this stupid stuff. Because the wisest guy in the world, the richest king in the world ever of God's name, did this. So when you're like going back and forth and struggling, why do you think that's weird? This book was written to tell you, no, that's pretty normal. 
this is pretty much how you're going to go through life. Like this is, that's kind of how it works. You're going to go through these times and it's, you got to keep coming back to the Lord. Like this is how, yep. <laughs> that's what Solomon's writing. He says, look at what Jesus said. Jesus says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. See, Solomon hates life. Jesus says, look, you heard it said, sorry, go back. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's the cycles. That's what Solomon writes about. It's all the same. Yeah, I know. That's what he does. Then he says, for if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? Are you willing to love people the way God wants them to be loved? Or are you going to love them the way you want to be loved so that you're loved back that way? See, Jesus came and he loved us how we didn't want to be loved. That's why we crucified him. He said things we didn't like. He challenged mentalities that we had kind of settled on like Solomon had, and we didn't want anybody messing with those. Religious mentalities, wealth mentalities, world mentalities, and Jesus is like, nope, I'm coming to turn all that upside down, which is what I've been doing through the whole Old Testament, but people don't listen. Now I'm making it absolutely clear by coming from heaven to earth to represent myself. He goes on, Jesus says this, now great crowds were traveling with Jesus, with him. So he turned and said to them, look at this, Jesus has the crowds, he has the singers, he has all these people and he turns and says to them, "Uh, hey, if any of you comes to me, like if you want to keep following me, you crowds, you you all good, and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciples, disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That is the worst message to speak to a crowd when you're trying to like get people attracted and build something. That is a terrible sales tactic. But it's exactly what Solomon arrived at at the end of his life. See, Jesus just tells it like it is. He doesn't manipulate the situation and try to say, oh, well, just come and eat. No, Jesus is like, here it is. Okay, I know you all are excited and you're seeing me heal people. You're seeing all these earthly results. You're seeing all these earthly things. I am telling you, I'm not going to deliver you from the Romans today. I'm not going to overthrow the Romans and bring a new temple. That's not going to happen. So I might as well just tell you up front, if you truly want to be my disciple, here's where we're headed. Who's on board? If more churches would preach the gospel that way, we'd have a lot less deconversion stories of young people in our culture. The gospel will cost you your life, I promise. And it is so worth it because God gave his son's life for yours. Don't play around like Solomon did. You'll just be miserable. You'll see the futility and you will hate life. And I'm telling you, if you'll choose to follow Jesus and he will lead you to places you don't want to go, he'll lead you to surrender the earthly things for the heavenly things. If you will do that, I promise you, you will have a light and a fulfillment that the world is chasing all the time that they can never find. Ecclesiastes goes on, he says, so I began to say to myself, or began to give myself over 
to despair. Sorry, my bad. So I begin to give myself over to despair. Solomon hates his life. Jesus says, give your life. Look, he says, so I begin to give myself over to this. One of Jesus' disciples did this. Matter of fact, all of them did this. Only one disciple was at the foot of Jesus' cross because all of them decided they didn't want to carry a cross. That was John. The rest of his disciples ran in fear because they were still thinking, earthly king, overthrow Romans, we're going to sit on thrones, we're going to be the big bad guy, awesome guys, yeah, woo. And when he went to the cross, they all scattered. It showed what they truly believed in their heart, just like Solomon. However, after Jesus was resurrected and came back to life, they all surrendered their life because they realized he is really the God of the universe. Solomon writes, he said, I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that I had labored at under the sun. All this following Jesus the last three and a third years, all my giving my life to him. I thought this was going to turn out different. I didn't think we were going to have to watch him die. I didn't think I was going to be chased for doing this. I thought I was going to have a good life. I thought things were going to get better. When there is a man whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and he must be He must give his portion to a man who has not worked for it. This too is futile and a great wrong. Is it Solomon? Yeah, it is. It's a great wrong that the man who never did anything wrong, Jesus Christ, paid the penalty for the sin work that we did. See, Solomon's got the gospel right here, just not yet. He's wrestling with the gospel message. He's wrestling with this gospel message of, yeah, I see that this is how it kind of works. There's no other way to be saved. There's no other point. But someone has to save you. Like someone, yep. And Jesus came and gave his life. He says, what does it, for what does a man get with all his work and all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? Notice he doesn't say under heaven. Under the sun. For all his days are filled with grief, and his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is futile. Ever been there? I hate this job. Everything's not working out. I lay down at night, and I'm just like, ah, I don't even want to get up. Yeah. You want to know why? Because you haven't embraced the man that died for you, and you don't want to die for others. You're still trying to get surrender. Solomon's still wrestling through this. Matthew, Jesus says this. He said, you hate life? Well, you better get ready, Jesus says to his disciples. He says, you think you hate life, then you better get ready because you'll be hated by everyone because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be delivered. 24.9 says, then they will hand you over for persecution and they will kill you. You'll be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will take offense, betray one another, and hate one another. Jesus doesn't hold back the truth. He tells it like it is. Are we trying to be hated? No. That's not the goal. Jesus didn't walk around trying to be hated. He just told the truth and people couldn't stand it. Solomon told the truth and he couldn't stand what he was telling himself. Until finally at the end of the book, he comes to the realization, oh, this is the truth. He goes on in Luke, Jesus says, you are blessed when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. I've said this before, if people are insulting you, slandering you, 
and excluding you because you're a moron that's not persecution. That's just you're a moron. Stop it. Don't do that anymore. But if you're doing the right thing and honoring the Lord and you're getting this, Jesus said this is what would happen. Why are we surprised? Because we're believing lies like Solomon did instead of believing the truth about what fearing God and obeying him truly looks like. Verse 21 says, you will even be betrayed by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. They will kill some of you, and you will be hated by everyone because of my name, but not a hair on your head will be lost. I count the hairs on your head, it says in the Old Testament. I've said this before, I'm really glad because I've lost a lot of them and I have no idea where they are. And God said he has counted every one of them, and I pray that they'll be restored someday, right? Right? Every, he's like, look, I'm counting, I, I'm seeing, there's hope. By your endurance, you'll gain life. You won't hate life, you'll gain life if you keep coming back to God. Keep fearing him, keep coming back to his commands, keep repenting, keep going. Jesus says this, this is what I commanded you, love one another. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you, just like Solomon. As its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Now I'm coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. Solomon hates life. He's miserable. He can't find joy because he hasn't surrendered to God yet in chapter 12. I have given them your word. Solomon's giving the word right now. The world... Um, the world hated them because they are not of the world as I am not of the world. I am not praying, look at this, I am not praying that you take them out of the world, that you make it all better and great for them, but that you protect them from the evil one. See, it's about eternity. It's about your soul. I'm not praying you take them out because they got to be in there to do battle. But I'm praying that the evil one they are protected from. And then in verse 24, Solomon comes to this. He says, there is nothing better. After all of this and the meaningless of it all, he goes, there is nothing better for man than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I've seen that this is from God's hand because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? Now, this is a verse that is probably the most misinterpreted verse in all of Ecclesiastes. The verse that hedonists, hedonists are people who love pleasure. Hedonists use this verse to say, see, Solomon said there's nothing better that we could do than to just eat, drink, and enjoy my work. So I get up, I go to work, I come home, I have a beer, right? Enjoy my life. Not going to church because it's not enjoyable. So the best I can hope for is just to eat, drink, and enjoy work. This is right after Solomon said he hated life and he was depressed. Do you want to listen to a guy that's hated life and depressed say, just eat, drink, and enjoy your life? Like, eh, that's not working well for you. I'm, I'm out, right? Solomon is saying, look, I've looked and said, this, this is kind of the basic thing that you do in life. There's no way around it. The actual interpretation in the original Hebrew, that better than, which is why I've italicized it, or better for, that's probably not the best interpretation. It's more, there is nothing in man that can satisfy him. And if you're not satisfied by anything, well, then by all means, just eat, drink, and enjoy your work because you can't find satisfaction anywhere. That's what it is. There's nothing better for man under the sun to do. Here's the deal. There is something better for men under heaven to do. 
And that's why Solomon says, I've seen that even this is from God's hands. If you can eat, drink, and work to the enjoyment of God. That's what he says right there. Because you can't enjoy life. You will not find happiness. You will not find satisfaction in life apart from him. See, Solomon's wrestling through this. And see, it's designed to lead us to a decision about what we believe about God. John 10, 10, or John 10, 9 says this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come so they might have life and have it in abundance. Again, we mistranslate that and the abundant life is the, all the Solomon stuff. I got power, I got money, I got pleasure, I got all the, the power. No, it's not. The abundant life is bigger than that. Now, if you have all those things, you can come to the place where Solomon does, where you go, thank you, Lord, for all these things. Help me not to worship them or find my pleasure or my joy in these things. Help these things to bring light to the world and glorify you. That's the difference Solomon's writing about. Then he says, look, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. There's a lot of shepherds out there that are using you. Solomon, to this point, was using people. Using servants. Using everybody to try to find the meaning of his life. Using whatever he could use to find meaning and pleasure and to prop himself up. And Jesus says, no, that's a bad shepherd. A good shepherd gives his life. And then calls the other sheep and the shepherds to give their lives to feed everyone else because that's the point of a sheep. The point of a sheep is you get sheared to provide clothing and you get killed to provide the blood and the meat necessary for the sacrifices. And Jesus calls us sheep. He also calls himself the lamb that was slain for us. John goes on, Jesus says, unless, I assure you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces a large crop. The one who loves his life will lose it. That's what we're reading about Solomon right now. He has loved life. He has lived life. He has taken advantage of everything in life, and he feels like he's lost everything. And he goes on and he says, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Solomon says he hates life. Why? Because there's no other way to get to eternal life. God has taken Solomon through the process to show us and to show the world you can have it all, you can do it all, but when you come to that point when you hate life, you are so close to eternal life. You are so close to under heaven instead of under the sun. You're right there, Solomon. Oh, you're, you're right there. You're almost there. You almost get it. Like, you just... Jesus says, when you finally come to the place where you stop clinging to anything in this life, now you're looking eternally. Now you're looking for something more. Now you're shooting for something bigger. And then he says, look at this. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. We just read that. We're going to be honored in heaven, paraded out, and honored before the Father and the angels if we know him. He goes on and he says, now my soul is troubled. Wait, but Jesus had it all figured out. How could his soul be troubled? 
because Jesus was coming down to the cross realizing that he was going to have to hate everything in this life so that he could bring life to everyone else. He was going to have to give it all up and not cling to any of it so that we could have life. So it's not an abnormal thought or an abnormal feeling to have your soul be deeply troubled. Like Solomon, like Jesus. What should I say, Father? Should I say, save me from this hour? Save me from this sickness? Save me from these problems? Save me from the issues? No, what I say is, Father, glorify your name. Whatever you want me to go through, whatever this is about, I don't care. I'm going through it so that you can get the glory. And Solomon isn't there yet. Then a voice came from heaven. Oh my goodness. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. I hope you can hear that voice from heaven for you. That God wants to say, I have glory. If you know me, I have given you my glory. I have glorified what I'm trying to do in your life and there's going to come a day when I will glorify you before the Father and the angels because of the faith you've placed in me. Finally, it ends. Ecclesiastes 2.25 For to man who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner... He gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the person who is pleasing in God's sight. This too is futile in a pursuit of the wicked. You can store up all the treasures of the earth and in the end, God gets it all. It's all his. So you might as well just give it to him now. That's what Solomon's realizing. Solomon's like, for to the man who's pleasing in his sight, he gives these things. So let me ask you this morning, are you a sinner or are you a saint? You see, if you know Jesus Christ and you've trusted him and asked him to come into your life, the Bible says you are a saint. You have been transformed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You may not feel like it. Solomon didn't feel like it. Jesus was troubled. You may struggle with it, that's fine, but the reality is God has transferred you. You are no longer just under the sun. You are under the protection and the glory of heaven. You see, you have to make a decision. Do I want to live like the sinner who just gathers and accumulates and in the end, I got nothing? Or do I want to live with my hands open and say, God, it's all yours. I just want to please you. Because I don't want to just pursue the wind. I want to pursue the spirit that comes and goes where it pleases. And you as my heavenly father. So this morning, the enemy wants you to hate God. He wants you to hate the reality of this life and hate yourself as a sinner. God wants you to love him, love the reality of this life, and love the one to come and love yourself as a surrendered saint so that you can love others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this message from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Lord, I thank you that you are good to us. Lord, I thank you that your word is powerful. That something written 3,000 years ago is literally like reading it today out of the newspaper. Lord, I thank you that you chose to Allow Solomon to live the life he lived. And Solomon was wise enough 
to write it down and struggle through it so that we would have a picture of the reality of what we're shooting for. Lord, I pray for those that are here this morning. There may be some here or joining online that just hate life. Father, I pray that they would see that they are one step, just they're right there, as you said, you're right there to eternal life. That it's just the transition of saying, the reason I hate life is because I keep chasing all the things in this life. And it's just a step over to say, no, I want to chase eternal things. And Lord, we can chase earthly things with an eternal perspective. And that's what you call us to do. And that's what Solomon is figuring out in Ecclesiastes he didn't do. Lord, I pray that we would figure it out before we're as old as Solomon. That we would have the supernatural wisdom that you give to see and open our eyes and to see the reality of this life and surrender to you. And so, Father, if there's someone who doesn't know you, I pray today would be the day when they say, I'm done. By faith, I receive you, Jesus. By faith, I repent. I'm done. I turn away from the mess and I turn to you. I turn to stop chasing the things under the sun and I chase heaven and eternity. And I pray today would be the day they do that. And if they do, you pay the price they owe so that they can have what they could never gain. Lord, for those of us who are believers, I take... I pray that we would take Solomon's words seriously and evaluate our lives and that we would start doing life differently with an eternal perspective. We would work, we would eat, we would drink, we would play, we would do everything in our life with a perspective for eternity instead of just self, what does self want to do today? We pray all this in your name because it's in your name we can be changed. Amen. Amen.